welcome to part two of our magnificent trilogy of 90s nostalgia. Um, this week, looking at 1994 to 1996, uh, and the good bits, the bad bits, the ugly bits, um, and the Metallica bits. Uh, we'll come to all that later. Um, fuck me, time's going quick, isn't it? It's a week since we did the last episode. Everyone will be pleased to know that Padre is out of the country. We finally managed to deport him back to Italy. He's, he's sitting sweaty on a balcony in southern Italy without any sleep. Um, but at least he's out of the country. So we've got probably another year till he has to come back. So let's, let's, let's save yeah, his time. It, it will be. It, it will, it's going to be at least 15 months. So I won't be coming home for Christmas. Um, and I haven't slept for 38 hours either. So if I go off on tangents tonight, please forgive me. That's right. That's what the mute button's for. So we, we, we can take care of it. Funny enough, of that, I mean, I bought, I bought these like binoculars when I was back home for 20 quid in a second-hand market. And I've just been sat out on my balcony all day, just calling in airstrikes on Sicily. <laughs> what you're actually doing is nonsense on your neighbour. You should have seen the woman at the cafe about an hour ago. I mean, oh, I've, I, normally I don't like, you know, I, I don't, I take a dim view of people that wear yoga pants out, but you know, this was, this was special. Um, even my wife commented that, you know, you can look at that, that's that special. <laughs> um, let's, leave, let's leave that one there yeah I mean just I don't know if you know this but the, the queue to see the Queen has now reached Italy <laughs> via centre parks <laughs> I, I got off the plane and there were just loads of like really kind of lost looking British people and I was like what, what, what are you queuing for and they're like, oh, this is, we were sent here to, to wait for the, to, to, to see the Queen line in state. And I said, but this is fucking Sicily. I said, you're standing in front of a fucking active volcano. And they're like, well, what does it matter if we get destroyed? You know, she's gone. She's never coming back. You know, what can you, what can you do with, with grief like that? We could not talk about it. I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm bored of it. I don't even see the attraction. I mean, it's not open caskets. What's the point? Is she even in it? The fucking coffin yeah. could be full of sausages for all we know. It's just, I don't I mean, know. Yeah, you don't want an instant you know, you know, like You know what she's done, don't you? She's gone off to form um, a kind of a, a, a spin-off band with uh, Nicky Wyatt from the Manic Street Preachers because they've, they've never found him either. I think you're talking about Richie Edwards. Richie Edwards, is it? Yeah. Sorry. I, I, unfortunately, Wyatt? it wasn't Nicky Wyatt that went missing. but He's a bassist. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also a bellend, but there you go. Anyway, in this enormous journey going home, have you listened to anything interesting? What have you been listening to? Um, I listened to Euthanasia on the flight, and then also uh, going back to what we were talking about last week, um, Super Unknown, and just like that's that song on Super Unknown, Head Down. How do you write a song that good? The, the intro riff for that song is it, it's so different from everything else and like and I'm, I'm thinking you know we we were so I mean what we're going to talk about tonight as well we were so spoiled for choice that you know even if there were certain bands that weren't producing very good stuff at the same at that time you had so many other bands that were really firing on all cylinders so that's true it kind of like softened the blow yeah that's, um, that's a good point you, I didn't think about it that way so like, you know, oh, this band's gone crap, but don't worry, there's these five or six other bands or these 10 other bands out here that have just churned out albums, which are, you're going to be listening to for the next 10 years. Yeah. You know, so it's like, oh, you don't like Metallica anymore? 
don't worry, you've got the super unknown um, in utero, and then going even, you know, into um, Countdown to Extinction or some of the, some of the other grunge stuff that was coming out. Some of the that we're going to talk about Brit Rock today. This, you know, it really was. I mean, I think it's. I think too much is is given too much attention is given to the eighties because there are maybe a handful of absolutely seminal albums. Yeah. But I think maybe could the argument be made that the nineties was the early nineties were more was a much more condensed period of absolute high quality. That that nineteen ninety four period. I think yeah. well, we'll Across find the board. out. Yeah. We'll find out tonight as well. I think that the the, the consistency. I mean, you know, people listening, we 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 put together a, a list of of album releases per year as we go through the nineties. And when you look back at it, and you realise, you know, the, the the strength of the material, like you said, it wasn't like four or five huge bands. This was this was like a smorgasbord of of metal albums from the early nineties all the way through to the late nineties. And there's, there's just so much to pick from. I had, I added a few to the 1994 and it took me two hours. Yeah. It's mad when you think about the classics that have come out in these years. So we'll, we'll talk about that as, as we go through the episode, but it's, it's crazy. And it's, and it's a real broad spectrum as well. So that's, that's what I like about it. It's not just thrash in its heyday or punk in its heyday. There's this, broad range of, of different types of hard rock metal punk all sorts going on so yeah we'll we'll, we'll come back to that um and what about you we listened to this week uh the new revocation album never heaven thoughts which i like yeah no i mean i'm say i'm i'm not a death metal person i think i'm probably giving more more of it my attention now but um yeah i thought i'd give that a go liked what i heard um i think you said it's not as a not as technical as previous albums, but no, I only um, listened to some of it, but um, but I liked what I listened to though. It's a good balance, good balance of what they do well, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm down with that. Uh, new Parkway Drive album, Darker Still. What did you think? Yeah, I like it. I mean, I've, I've honestly they're one of those bands that I've kind of not really bothered to check out in recent years because I kind of thought they they were part of a sort of modern post MySpace emo metal movement and whatnot, but even though I know they're not Australian now. Um, yeah, it never really gave me any attention, but you liked them and heard their stuff. It's def- definitely a bit of classic, classic metal and rock there. So Yeah, I think uh, there is the, the last three albums. In the early days, they were just another metalcore band, I think. And But the last three albums, they've grown into something a lot bigger and it is very accessible. It's quite poppy in places and a lot of hooks. It's very catchy music. So I think that's what's yeah. taking them to be playing arenas everywhere they go now. And yeah, and I, I kind of liked that sort of Western spaghetti Western sort of vibe that they got on a couple of tracks. Yeah. Which kind of maybe reflects possibly their Australian heritage. I don't know if that's probably racist, um, <laughs> you know, wanting to be out back or something. Um, no, like it, like it. So uh, keep an eye on them. Uh, and your eye heap. Okay. Because, yeah, still sort of checking out various old school stuff and yeah, those first four albums. Demons of Wizard, Salisbury, Salisbury's magnificent. I can honestly say I've I've never really listened to a great deal of UI. Yeah, it's it's quite. I mean, it's they're not metal. Um, I mean, not they're not strictly prog rock either. I think they kept lumped into that category. There's a lot yeah. of acoustic guitars, 
they're a bit they're a bit of everything really a bit of a mishmash of early 70s stuff but yeah i think salisbury is a great album um i think that's one to sort of give a go a precursor to the new wave of british heavy metal uh no 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 i i don't think so i mean it, it's it's 70s rock basically yeah. that's it it's it's 70s rock and it it just delves into various different things, you know. Big, big organ sounds. Yeah, there. certainly yeah. more, much more than Deep Purple. But um, yeah, there's a few trumpets and whatnot dotted about. Um, but yeah, they could do straight up blues if they wanted to. But yeah, it's 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 just good, solid. Yeah. Um, what have I been listening to this week? Uh, I am, which is a band that we've kind of bounced in between us this week. Um, the most recent album. Uh, which I really enjoyed, kind of riffy death metal, bit of groove kind of throw. I don't know, it's hard to sort of nail them down really, but it's heavy, it's aggressive, liked it, great riffs, pretty catchy as well in places. So that was good. Um, after last week talking about grunge so much, gone back through the Alice and Change back catalog again. And uh, sometimes you just, when you go back and listen to a band for the first time in, in several years, I haven't really listened to Alice and Change for a long time. It just makes you realise just how fucking good they were, you know. And and even the later stuff now, with with William Duval, the, the later albums, it, it's it's all still really strong material. And oh. I was sort of quite surprised at how good it was. Yeah, that comeback album was fantastic. I remember that. I remember buying yeah. that at the time and enjoyed it. But the, everything they've done since then, I've not I've not listened to once, and I have done this week, and I've really enjoyed it all. It's it surprised me. So I was listening to Jar of Flies a lot. A few weeks back, it's just—I mean, it's, it's hardly half an hour. I mean, it's more or less an EP, but it's yeah, yeah. It's just, and it's refreshing. It's not heavy. It's not loud. It's you know, off the gas, get these songs out of the way. But it's still, it's still dark and deep. And you know, yeah, and at times they were just so heavy. The only album I don't get on so much with is is the self-titled. I find that a little bit awkward. And it's, yeah, it's overlong. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit, maybe. They've got too... the same the same flow and the same groove as everything else they've done. Yeah, there's a bit too much despair there. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Um, um, also, a British death metal band called Iron Tomb, worth a listen. Sort of thrashy death kind of crossover. Um, really good, and the new Bloodbath album, which is one of the best death metal albums I've heard in years. I heard a couple of those earlier today. A couple of tracks, so I'll, uh, I'll dig in a bit more. Really good. I mean, Bloodbath are always. It's always strong material and it's always consistent. It doesn't matter who who's been in the band over the years. But um the new one's particularly good. So I, I can highly recommend that. I mean I didn't even know Nick Holmes was a singer now. Yeah. Yeah. You think about all the all the, the people that have gone through Bloodbath over the years. I'm not even sure that Peter Tackran's even still in the band anymore. I, I don't know. But no, I don't think so. Um but yeah, this um it's a really strong album. One like I said, one of the best death battles I've heard in years. So and it's it's surprisingly accessible for death metal as well it's, it's quite quite hooky and got a really good groove to it so i think that's what makes the difference it's not just bludgeoningly heavy and fast and you know having someone like nick holmes on vocals just gives it a bit of a different dynamic i think so yeah impressed by that It'd be one of the one of the arms of the year i think so uh, but that's been about it this week not much else going on um and a bit like in the world of metal in general, really, is fucking there's fuck all this week. Um, I did read a slightly disturbing story that 
Tommy Lee has now put himself on OnlyFans. So for $40 a month, you can... I don't know, I, I don't know what you're going to see, to be honest with you. I dread to fucking think. But why? I, I, it, it came after um, one of, the, uh, one of the, the crew shows in the States, the tour they've been doing with Def Leppard and Poison and so on and so forth. Somebody had a dig. Somebody who was at the show had a dig at Motley Crue, I think particularly Tommy Lee, about the amount of nudity. Um, to quote, someone said, uh, minors and everyone were forced to see people nude on the big screen and everyone was doing it around us too. It was like Sodom and Gomorrah. It was crazy. Even the usher, he had to pull a guy down from the brick wall because he had his private parts out. <laughs> I mean, and Tommy Lee came out to say that it's the Motley Crew show. If you if you don't want to see nudity, don't go to a Motley Crew show. I have to say, mine is. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I've I've said this before in relation to like bands like the Vandals and uh, Killswitch Engage. If you're getting, if you're having to get your dick out on stage, you really haven't got anything to offer the fans. In terms of music, but this was the crowd. This was nudity in the crowd. Was it the crowd? Yeah, oh, I mean, oh, well, it's the whole different. thing of women, women flashing their tits and Motley Crue, isn't it? It's just we don't, you don't need it these days. It's, we should be left in the eighties. But it's you, you kind of you kind of can't stop people doing that if that's what they want. No, to no, do. no, no, no. Okay, if it's in the crowd, I thought I so I thought it was one of the band members doing it. Sorry. I don't know if it's in the crowd, it's in the crowd. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I've I've seen much worse festivals. Yeah, that absolutely. is okay. Maybe it's inappropriate behaviour to, to, towards some, but it's again, it's like, you know what, if you're offended, fuck off. I don't care. Oh, I'm offended. No laws have been broken. Shut no. up. Um, do you know that in Italy, it's actually legal to have a wank in public as long as there aren't any under 12s nearby? Oh, my God. Do you have to go around and ask ages first? Well, uh, apparently so. The only reason I know this is because I dread to um, think how you know this. <laughs> no, um, some of the, the 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 females I work with last year were at the beach, and there was just a guy there just jacking off on the beach. Oh so God. they went and told the police. And they came over and they were like, they were like, oh no, how old are you? And they're like, oh, you know, 28, 29. <laughs> He's not breaking the law, man. You've got to be uh, under sixteen or under twelve or something. Or you know, it's oh, like really? you know, really. And he was, and he wasn't just like. Doing it and not and ignoring everyone. He was doing it and looking at them. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ! So yeah, um, Sicily tourist board are going to be confused about sudden uh, rush of uh, yeah, visitors. Yeah. That is um, that that is a sex offence. I think to be perfectly honest with you, legalised. Yeah, but this is the thing. This is what really annoys me. It's like you can do it on the on the beach. But, you know, I'm not allowed to do it when I'm at work. I mean, it's just like, you know, I'm <laughs> sick of being sent to the back of the room like a little leper, you know. I mean, the bottom line is when, when people are allowed to, you know, have a, ha, you know, have some fun at work, productivity goes up. I mean, have, the, have you never seen that big train sketch with Simon Pegg? <laughs> Which one? The wanking at work one. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is outrageous. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, so um, yeah. If anybody fancies booking their booking, a, you know, a quick holiday to Italy so they can have a wank on the beach, and now's your chance. Fuck you now. Thanks for that. Um, but yeah, off the back of it, Tommy Lee has put himself on OnlyFans and he's charging forty dollars a month for people to subscribe. And I, I'm assuming watching, for I don't what? know, get naked for what? Have a wank? I, I I don't know. I don't know. It's Tommy Lee. Who fucking knows what he gets up to? The man's a lunatic. 
let him get on with it. As long as he's nowhere near me, I don't care. Yeah, I think it just shows. I think it just shows where Motley Crew are. You know, there's a lot of bands that are still performing live that were performing in those eras, and they can just go out and do a a consummate professional performance. Whereas Motley Crew have still got to be Motley Crew. They're still dining out on what they were, and it's a bit sad. You know, this is this is men around about the age of. There six. are two songs. Girls, Girls, Girls and Dr. Feel Good. Those are the only Motley Crue songs I will listen to because I, I actually think the riff on Girls, Girls, Girls is pretty decent. I think it's a decent riff. But that band, I, I just, I don't see any, I've never seen any appeal. I don't rate them as musicians. No. I think they were, I think they were just a beneficiary of right place, right time, right look. Yeah. You know, um, cashing in on a on a on a, on a zeitgeist, um, so just fuck off. I'm sorry. Like I mean, them and Poison. This is I, I just I just don't see. Def Leppard actually wrote some decent songs, right? Um, Twisted Sister wrote some decent material. Uh, all those, a lot of those other LA strip bands, just what they produced. I'm sorry, was just utter pap. Yeah. Like yeah. fuck's sake, he writes a song called Cherry Pie, and where's that <laughs> band now? Where's Warren? What are they doing? Well, the, 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 the actual, dead, yeah. so, you know. Well, the actual guys, he, he, the last time I saw him in an interview, he was actually saying how, how embarrassed he was. Well, have a fucking backbone. You know, say, I'm not going to fucking sing it, you know. He, he's, oh, de- he's dead now, Yanni Lane, anyway, so there's, there's, he can't really... Good. He can't... <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> it's going to be one of those this week, isn't it? Um, let's, let's move on. Um, James Hetfield got into a bit of banter with the crowd this week when um, when Metallica were about to go into some Sananga songs. I think he asked the crowd, what do you think of Sananga? And there was lots of booze coming back. And there's a couple of clips on YouTube that, you know, anybody can go and watch. And, and he's quite entertaining, to be fair. He takes it in really good jest and he makes a bit of a thing of it. And I think that that sort of being able to, being able to appreciate where your material isn't as strong as it potentially was years ago, and you can poke fun at it, you know, I think fair play to Hetfield, really. Hetfield of, of 25 years ago wouldn't have done the same thing. But for those listening who obviously can't see us, Padre is currently sat on his balcony looking through a set of binoculars. And I'm yeah. after the, the recent conversations, I'm worried about what you're looking at. Mate, there's a fucking weird, there's a weird house. No one goes in, no one goes out. But I can see them in there moving around. And this has been like going on for two and a half years now. And I want to know who's up there. This is, this is why I basically bought the binoculars. It's the Clopex. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. It, it is. It's up the burbs, mate. Fucking cunts. <laughs> We've got a Linkin Park fucking poster on the wall. Well, yeah. invite them, invite them over next week for, for episode three. Can you metal twice, mate? Fucking hell. But yeah, um, I, I think, go, go watch it on YouTube because it's quite entertaining. I think he handles it really well and it, it's, it's quite funny. So, and, you know, for the record... We we hate some anger anyway, as as most Metallica fans do. But it's it's like you know our, our guest last week, Mr. Robert Lang said, when we were at Donington in two thousand and four, when they were late on stage, and he just turned to us and goes, "Oh, first and anger now this." Now this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, you know. It's um, it's just what's worse, St. anger or reload? St. anger. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Sananga, Sananga is up there with one of the, the worst albums I've ever heard, let alone metal albums or metallic albums. It's one of the worst albums I've ever heard. 
Because, you know, the songs are shit is one thing. The production's awful. The guitar sound is terrible. No real solos. No solos at all, I think. It's just, it's just, just awful. I don't it's even worse, want to talk about it anymore. It's worse than explosive diarrhea. Yes. At least you get some form of relief from explosive diarrhea. You certainly don't get that from Sananga. So yeah, it's 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 akin to getting sand in your anus when you're sat naked wanking on an Italian beach. Uh, and I don't want to talk about it anymore, so let's move on. Um, in Flames dropped another new track today as well, which I, I, I briefly listened to earlier. So the first couple that they've dropped from the forthcoming album called Foregone, I think the album's called. The song that's dropped today is the title track. First couple of songs, half decent. Little bit of a return to older sound at times but maybe sort of a route to remain here in flames perhaps but the one today and you listened to it as well didn't you i didn't think didn't think much of it ah not at all it's all it's all like oh you've you've lost your momentum guys it's just nothing to grab hold of yeah there's this sort of like blast beats now and there it's quite heavy it's quite aggressive but there's a solo in it that just kind of it just sort of fizzles into nothing and doesn't I mean, really it, work. It's part one of a song, so maybe it would work it, with part two. Maybe, but... yeah, maybe. Would it be would it be possible to contact them and ask them, you know that song you just dropped? Fucking pick it up. <laughs> Put it back and go back and think about what you've just done. You know, like you know, like when you were a kid and when you, you do homework and the teacher writes in your textbook, see me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or poor, even for you. <laughs> is that the kind of thing you write no i just um i i, I just just put like you know <laughs> just a torrent of exclusives no, i'm going to give you an f for this but the f's not for fail i know there are actually some schools that don't let you actually mark work anymore using red ink because apparently it's too, too aggressive <laughs> too aggressive too yeah, demotivating no. yeah no yeah well, i've heard that that's that's happened in the uk as well it's ridiculous um, that's about it there's not much going on this week there um, was I don't know I wish I'd make a note of that actually there was another band who's ca- who've um, cancelled a tour in Europe in the next few months another one yeah mm. I can't remember who it was but they were actually saying it's it's because of cost it's everything in Europe's just become so expensive lately yeah. uh, across the board that we can't actually justify it now yeah so that could be why, why are we actually it. going to put together a playlist for Monday's Nash State Funeral no, because I'm not interested. Okay, just, just well, I, very quick. I, 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 I had, yeah, there was a couple of things I was thinking of. The latest Funeral Chic album, uh, followed by Opeth's My Arms, Your Hearse. <laughs> Have you got a contribution as well, Padre? Yeah, fuck it, hella weights. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Anything by Gravedigger? Maybe. I mean, just like, just like, Thinking like um, <laughs> Dancing Queen by Abba, just just stupid, you know. Uh, what else could you put in? Oh, this. I mean, I'm sure if you just type in a Google songs with Queen in the title. Well, I tell you what, you, you go away, and I'm sure you'll come back next week with a uh, with a long list. I'll, I'll tell you, what, I'll make it. I'll make a playlist of like metal for um. Oh, what about you know Iron Maiden, Charlotte the Harbour. Right. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> this, is, this is this is getting more and more nonsensical by the minute. Let's try and get 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 control Borderline of this once treasonous, more. Treasonous. This is. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit. It's it's been racist. It's been treasonous. There's been 
you know, allegations. I just want to clarify something. Abuse. I'm actually safe because I live in Europe now, and as of Brexit, you don't have an extradition treaty anymore, so I can say what I like. We do that anyway. <laughs> but let's let's move on and try and uh, and put some kind of structure back into this episode before people have walked off and thrown themselves off a cliff trying to listen to it. So going back to last week, we covered 1990 to 1993. And I think we, we didn't quite realise what we were going to unearth in terms of how good that period was. So going into the middle 90s, sort of 94, 95, 96, um, and as things, as we were saying last week, as things start to become a little bit more alternative-led, there was a lot more alternative-type rock and grunge was growing. Um, you had the rise of, of pop punk in the States and obviously that went worldwide as well. Uh, death metal started to grow even more and, and that started to sort of develop into, you know, things a little bit more interesting and black metal sort of reared its ugly head. So it's, where, where, where should we start? Should we start with, let's, let's start with the bands like Pantera and that then because in the early 90s, they obviously released Cowboys from 1990, Vulgar in 1992. And then you get Far Beyond Driven in 1995, when I think Pantera reached an absolute peak for me. And they, them and Sepultura were probably the standout bands of the mid-90s. Tell me I'm wrong. No, no, I think you've, you've nailed it because it's a bit of an interesting period at this point. There's, your, your, your scenes are effectively underground now, fresh, death, heavy, traditional heavy is old school, but, and so old school, it's underground and of course, power and whatnot that's european underground so yeah in terms of in terms of american metal uh big metal bands um pantera certainly um and separate okay they're south american but yeah i i, I think that's that's the pinnacle in terms of big yeah, I, I think it's i think it's worth pointing out that far beyond driven went to number one in the u.s charts yeah one of the first metal one of the one of the few metal bands at the time to be able to achieve that. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at Far Beyond Driven, if you look at the first four tracks especially, they're very good standout tracks. Um, I, I think the album is a bit hit and miss, but those first four tracks are definitely worth it. And I think the thing to take away from it is obviously they they followed it up with was it Great Southern Tranquil that came out after, after that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and okay, so far beyond driven was their creative peak, not in terms of quality, but they they kind of got better and better, and then they 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 came up with a very strong album, and then it was they they kind of got to the top of that bell curve, yeah, and then after that they were yeah, but they had a lot of credibility because of what they were putting out, and I think as well you've got to consider how they were able to, in terms of almost like a like a, a, um, a, a large mass in space attract other people towards them. So like you had down, um, they were doing stuff with corrosion of conformity. Uh, so they were doing stuff with corrosion of conformity. They were doing stuff with other bands that were quite influential on certain Norwegian black metal bands. Mm -hmm. um, and they were also one of the few bands in the mid nineties. And you can see this through the videos that they were putting out, like volume three, for example, who were still living that kind of absolute, hard lifestyle the the, the drinking the, yeah, the drugs. yeah but on the flip side going back to last week's episode 
when Rob was talking about Megadeth should be headlining and they're not. And one of the reasons they're not is because they've made bad mistakes. This is the shame of Pantera and Sepultura is in the mid nineties, both of those bands made huge errors of judgment. So there was, there was the, just the general carnival around Pantera. The, the, it was the road crew. It was the, the, the fans, the, the, the bands that went on tour with them. It was the, the drink and the drugs, but then you had Anselmo taking it too far. Yeah. And he ruined himself. And it's a shame because firstly, he's a damn good singer. Secondly, he's got a lot of contributions to make to any band he's in in, con- in terms of arrangements, lyrics and musical ideas. Secondly, he's playing with one of the preeminent guitar players that metal's ever produced. That should have been a band that should be still touring now, regardless of the shooter. Um, that, that's that's something completely different. Um, and it's, it's just a crying shame because they, they just made very bad decisions. And... They were like the Pantera were the basket that we were putting our chips in. They were they they were like you you you'd be like oh what is this crap oh thank fuck for Pantera yeah like and like they were playing they were playing Ozfest and they were playing other tours and they were the band that was like people were paying to go and see because they knew they were going to get a really good show. I mean they've got one one hundred and one live proof. That live album is one of the best metal live albums ever produced. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk um, about that episode. And um, they were, you know, they were very influential. And you had from 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 Pantera's relationship with Corrosion of Conformity, you got down, and you got a very good um, body of work from that collaboration. Yeah, I, I was listening. I was listening to um, Nola this week because I saw it on the list. There's some really good tracks on that. And it's different. And yeah. then, you know, Corrosion and Conformity were a very good band. I mean, I was uh, Albatross is one of my favourite songs. I think the riff at the beginning of that is amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, and even you, you've even got, I was at Pepper Keenan is, is very, very good friends with James Hetfield. Yeah. So if you look on, I can't remember the album, but it's, it's the, the, the song Diablo Avenue and Hetfield plays on that. And he's, he's, he's a hidden credit. But you can tell he's on it because the guitar style. Um, and it's just, it's just it's, I think it's, for first it's, I think it's a shame corrosion and conformity never got any bigger. Um, and I think yeah, it's they, a shame. They, that- yeah. Around, around the release of deliverance. Um, they, they, that's when they should have gone on to be, to be massive. And that, yeah, that is 94. So after that was wise blood, um, which wasn't so strong, but they, they should have, they should have gone on to bigger things from there, but for whatever reason, it just didn't really happen for them. But they do have, like you said, same kind of thing with Pantera. Really, they, they've got a lot of credit in the bank. Coc, they they're hugely influential on a lot of bands. A lot of you've got, you got of, to appreciate what came next, which we'll talk about next week, though. Um, that's a factor. Well, but their sound just wasn't. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, going going into the late nights, I thought you were talking about something else. But yeah, it just wasn't the type of thing that was was popular with the masses at the time. So it was maybe it was just the wrong time for them. I don't know. But the the, the albums Blind, Deliverance, and Wise Blood, three of my favourite albums. I'm a huge fan of Coc. I've got a Coc tattoo on the back of my neck that's been there for donkey's years, and I will always stand by those those albums. They they. They're just like you said, the, the riffs and the hooks, the melodies, solos, everything. And 
it is a shame they never got bigger, but you know what? They still carried on putting out music and even their later material has been really strong, especially since Pepper Keen has been back in the band. So they, they, should, they always deserve that respect. I kind of want to sort of come back to Pantera and what you said, actually, Padre, um, because their, tra- their trajectory was, was interesting and somewhat, um, well, uncommercial, really. Because if you, if you think where they started, well, if you think the 80s, what, what it was for them, it was, you know, they did power, they did, um, I know they called themselves power metal at one point, but it was, you know, it was glam metal, wasn't it, really? And then they, they effectively were reborn with Cowboys from Hell, which was at times radio friendly. Wasn't it as an album? You yeah. Cemetery Gates and, and even the title track itself. That's yeah, that's radio friendly. And then they they turned up the heaviness, but honed the songwriting for Vulgar Display, and you got a classic album there. Um, and you think with someone like that, especially with other things going on, maybe the move is to actually go back to doing big choruses, big anthems, maybe because you've got you've got a band from the south. Um, so they've got that heritage um, so why not but you've got this period where Anselmo's he's getting into his black metal and his underground stuff and then they produced Far Beyond Driven which was in some ways similar to Nirvana making in utero it was just this you know riff heavy quite extreme album and I, I think it's great I, I, I think it's great I, th- I think all those four albums are great personally um, and then, like you say, it got it got even darker, and there was all stuff going on. And then they meet the great Seven Tranquil, which is just you know next level in terms of darkness and speed. It's it's something else. Um, and then the, the, the great, the great, interesting. The, the, the great Southern Tranquil. I don't. I, I'm not a fan of that album. Um, but it's not like it's, it's it wasn't a nail in a coffin. It wasn't like oh, I've heard that album now. Oh, I'm not into Pantera anymore. Any anything like that. People were just like, oh, you know, they'll come up with something better next time or something like that. But by then it was like reinventing the steel. By then, by the time that album came out, and somewhere was finished. The the, the heroin overdoses and the, the drinking and, and and the rest of the band were going off the rails too. I mean, so they just burnt themselves out basically. Yeah. Um you can't live that and, kind of lifestyle for 20, 30 years. It's gonna catch up with you eventually. Yeah, I mean, but like again, you've got um it's just it's just a damn shame that you had Especially with Dimebag Dime, Dime Dowie, it's such a good guitar player that is, is you know, quite rightly revered by his contemporaries. Like, you know, people from, like, you know, Hetfield, Mustaine, Eddie Van Halen, all highly rated him. When he died, even Van Halen contributed his guitar from Van Halen too. He was buried with it. Yeah. That's, a very, that's a very strong statement of, um, like, kind of faith to say, I think this guitar player is so good, I'm going to give you one of my guitars from a legend like Van Halen to, you know, get buried with that. And a single um, guitar player band as well, which is something that gets missed. You know, it's, it's one thing to be an amazing guitar player when you've got rhythm and lead, but he was, he was on his own. And that's, that's probably what makes it even more impressive. I think. Yeah. I mean, Pantera were definitely, they, they, they did a lot of heavy lifting in the mid nineties. Yeah. Um, and to some extent, I think you could say they had a very strong influence on a lot of new metal bands because a lot of new metal bands were one one guitar bands. Yeah. Um, and that kind of groove chug that they had uh, was definitely influential. 
but they just didn't a lot of a lot of bands can't pull that off because they don't have the rhythm section either if you're going to have a one one guitar band like that you're going to have to have a really great rhythm section and Pantera had that and they had a really good singer this is the, this is the, it's just a crying shame isn't they, they, they were some, some of their parts Pantera singer. weren't they the, the, yeah they were the four elements were. made something really special but let's you think about that so Far Beyond Driven came out in 94 I think I said 95 already but it came out in 94 and also in 94 you, you started to see you start to see new things start to pop up and new bands so, you know Pantera already established COC established Megadeth, Soundgarden, all these bands had already done, you know, other stuff before. So they're already there. But also 94, and I know we, I know we, we, we do dig them out a little bit, but Machine had released Burn My Eyes, which, you know, as a debut album at that time, you look back at it now, it was, it was pretty huge. The first Korn album came out in 1994 as well. Um, and then you had the rise of, like I said earlier, of the pop punk. Biohazard released State of the World Address. Corn, Corner a band who in 1998 and 1999, when I first started seeing their stuff on MTV2 or MTV, because I think MTV2 came along in 2000, I wasn't that, I was quite nonplussed. And I, I, I remember having a kind of very visceral reaction to it. And be like, no, it's, it's new metal. It's, it's shit. It's, I mean, I, I used to go around calling it saying it was cock rock. I, really reflecting on that, why the hell I thought that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, living abroad and meeting a lot of people that were um, big corn fans, I'm not going to go back and listen to corn, but I'm not going to slag them off anymore either. I think some of the songs of the first album got some really good riffs in it. I think they were decent musicians and you've got to give them a lot of credit because they were very influential on a lot of the bands that came afterwards. They're still going um, and they've they've done a lot of different stuff. They weren't a one-trick pony either. That's true. Yeah, so I'm not, 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 not going to go and start buying corn t-shirts and saying I'm a corn fan, but if I'm in a metal bar having a pint and corn comes on, I'm no longer going to be like, oh, fuck this shit. I'll quite happily listen to it. Um, so, yeah, I've had a bit of a, a road to Damascus moment with Korn. Um, I'm, 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 I'm more than happy to give them the credit that they're due. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, four-piece band, wrote some really good songs, good musicians. I used to go around saying, oh, they're shit guitar players as well. No, I was being a dickhead back then. Um, I think, yeah, they, 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 they've, they've definitely deserved their place in the, the metal pantheon, as it were. Um, they, they, they out, they've clearly outlived the scene. They, they were more than what the scene was. So yeah. can yeah. we, can we make a point or, or suggest a point? We've had the term metal core bandied about a lot in the last 15 years, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but it's essentially, it's supposed to be what a combination of metal and hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Now if you look at, you look at some of those bands in this period who were, either knocking about for a bit or they're releasing debut albums so you look at machine head and corn biohazard and to a certain extent pantera you've got this sort of blending of heavy riffs metal with hardcore punk aesthetics and rhythms definitely yeah it's, it's kind of i know we don't think of those bands as metal core but if you think of what metal core is supposed to be 
that's kind of really when it's that's almost proto metalcore really but because they were all doing their own thing or they got lumped into other things that you know that we don't think of them like that but yeah i mean you you, you look at you look at you know anselmo with his shaved head the the track suits uh the tattoos i mean i, I heard someone call it tattoo metal a few years ago uh, which didn't caught on but yeah you, you look at yeah the street the street gang sort of symbolism here and there yeah you uh, definitely got that with certainly with the likes of machine head and, and biohazard bands yeah. like that that was that was a big part of it a lot of the um like you say the hardcore ethics a lot of shows in the early days were played in backyards and in squats and things like that it, it kind of it kind of sits with the scene i mean you and, about so- the, i mean i know we're going forward a few years but just to just to quickly sort of not don't want to gloss over it but you think about what an influence pantera on are on the likes of lamb of god yeah, you know, it's, they're almost like a, a modern day version of, of Pantera almost at times. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right, I think. Also worth pointing out, the Corn, certainly around that mid-90s period, um, supported Sick of It All. Yeah, they did. They did. But Sick of It All, to be fair to them, them and another hardcore band called Strife would right, tour yeah. with all sorts of different metal bands. I mean, Strife were always out with Sepultura, so... yeah. You know that that crossover of the two things. They would. Can we? This, this is it. Can we? Can we? Can, can we get to the elephant in the room though? Can we get to Sepultura? Because <laughs> well, it's painful. It kind, of go, it kind of leads naturally into that. I, I mentioned Sepultura in the same breath as Pantera when we started talking about this, and they were probably the two bands that had their best moments in this mid '90s period. You know, Chaos AD came out in '93 that we talked about last week. Far Beyond Driven comes out in '94, and then in '96, obviously, you get Roots. Which, you know, Ratamahata hits the top 30, wasn't it, in the UK as a single? I think it was mid 20s, wasn't it? Yeah. So that's, I, I'd never heard Sepultura before when I heard that. And I, you know, listening to the, the Bruno Brooks Radio One chart show on a Sunday afternoon and hearing that, it was like, what, what the fuck is this? Seeing the video on the chart show. Seen, yeah, seeing time. the video on the chart show. Yeah, it was a claymation. It was, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. So, you know, yeah, wax lyrical about Sepultura as much as you want, because at that point, they were they they were fucking awesome. I, I'd love to have seen them live at that time. Yeah, I think Chaos AD and Roots were quite eclectic albums. Yeah, definitely. Um, whereas Schizof- Schizophrenia, Beneath the Remains, and Arise were extreme thrash or death, almost death metal album. But even then. If you're going to say that Arise is a death metal album, which I don't think it is, I think it's a, I think it's an extreme thrash album or a thrash album. It's a fucking good album because some of the the, the, the arrangements on that um, and the, the the mixture of like clean intros and the drumming from Eagle Cavalier, like there's that you know you know that there's that middle drum fill from that song Desperate Cry, mm. you know, it's just like fucking hell, it was so good. Um, and the, the the solos from Andreas Kisser, and you know, and then beneath the remains is an extreme thrash album. That, that is that's an insane album to write. You're about what nineteen, coming from like yeah, Belo Horizonte in in Brazil, and you've got no money because I mean, Sepultura were not were not privileged. No, from, no they were not from privileged backgrounds. Um, but by nineteen ninety six, they were playing stadiums. Yeah, I know, they, and they were proper massive at that time. What what was the deal? Is it the the wife got too involved with the business side of it, and the band were just like, 
enough. So yeah. there's, there's there's various different stories, and I think recently Max Cavalera has has done a few interviews and and he's talked about it and he and he's trying to he's trying to shift the blame from his wife onto him. He he says it's his fault. Um, and and just to quote him, he said it's like anything; it ran its course. One of those things. But I'll say this. It's extremely frustrating to me that some of the fans don't understand and it's really easy to blame people for it. A lot of people end up blaming my wife. Now, um, Andrew Klein from Strife, I think I've talked about this on a previous episode, they were on tour with Sepultura on their final tour and he witnessed you know, arguments between the bands and what it was all about. Their management contract was up with their current management company. Gloria was going to take over. And there was this whole sort of thing around, well, if she's going to take us over, we're walking away. So Max said, no, I'm going to walk away. And they kind of went off and they obviously went on to form Soulfly. But I think while all that may be true, there was clearly already a lot of tension within the band. And that's where it just reached, reached the pinnacle. Because like I said, their trajectory as you were saying, beneath the remains arise, they weren't privileged. They weren't selling huge amounts of albums, but once they got through chaos AD and then roots, all of a sudden, like I said, they're playing stadiums and it's almost like also, it got too big, too quick. Yeah. You've also got the fact that, um, glorious son, Dana, Max's yeah. stepson was killed in a car yeah. crash in summer. So they played Donington as a threesome, uh, with Andrews. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, that added but, to the, yeah. Maybe. So, are you based? So yeah, but then you've got the whole uh, the whole argument to be made that your son, your stepson, dies in a in a car crash in nineteen ninety six. So when you play Ozfest in nineteen ninety eight at Milton Keynes Bowl, you fucking use a drain pipe to blow down. Well, we'll we'll talk about Soulfly. Yes, Soulfly for me are just a bit of an abomination. Oh, just I remember seeing Soulfly and just like oh, I think I vomited in my mouth. <laughs> That's how bad they were. Um, but it, it's, you know, Sepultura into Soulfly, you can kind of see it happening. But that's obviously, that was obviously Max Cavalera's. But it was influence. just like, who, who, know, who knows what it, who knows where Sepultura would have gone after Roots? We don't know if Max has stayed in the band, this is. So, but. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But what, what really used to get up my nose was the fact that, okay, you're Soulfly, play your own stuff. Great. But you're still you're also Max Cavalera. So if you if you play Sepultura songs, you you were the singer in Sepultura. It's probably going to sound very much very much like yeah. Sepultura. Used to yeah. sound. But he was like, no, I'm not playing Sepultura songs. And you're just like, well, people know you because of Sepultura. People like you because of Sepultura. And it all goes back to this idea that oh no, we play for ourselves. No, you fucking don't. You play for the fans that are buying the tickets. That's who you play for. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You know, we're, um, we're, we're, all, we're all strong. What, what stops you from just dropping in? Refuse, resist. I'm not saying you play the entire set, but just drop in. Give us some sugar, you know. A couple of songs at the end. Give, I think, give us I a think at the time, just sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit. I, I, I can only suggest that at the time, 1998, two years after the Sepultura split, maybe it was still raw. Maybe he just didn't want it. Maybe he wanted to have a clean start i i don't know I, you know obviously oh, for quite now, it, it's a band splitting up it's not like fucking covid 
Yeah, but fucking fuck COVID. Do not fucking <laughs> bring COVID into this fucking podcast. I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to go. I've got to go back to work next week. I'm so traumatized because of what's going on in the UK this week. I'm going to start doing my lessons down a, down a drain pipe. What's going on in the UK? Oh, you know, someone's died. Oh, okay. um, I thought, yeah, I, I, I thought they did play some Sepultura stuff at Ozfest '98. No, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't do it. And it wasn't just Ozfest. He just wouldn't do it. Period. He went on. To, they, they did. They did do Sepultura material. Yeah, over, late, later on. But um, but yeah, I, I think it, it probably did come. It did come later on, but it was clearly a messy split, and I think there was a lot of there was a lot of money involved and all the politics that go with all that because obviously it is a business and they were making money at the time. So I don't know, maybe maybe it was just messier than we think it was. But yeah. Yeah, but who knows? Like I said, who knows where Sepultura would have gone if Max never left the band? I like what Sepultura do now. They had some wobbly moments when they first got Derek Green in, but the, the material, the last sort of three or four albums they put out, really strong material. So, yes, they're not playing stadiums anymore. They're playing clubs, but so what? They're still doing it. Can't argue. I'm not a huge fan of Roots, but you can't argue the influence that album has had on metal that's come after new metal. You know, it's it's the influence is definitely there. Chaos AD and Roots, both big influence on new metal, unfortunately. Yeah, you can you can certainly point a trajectory to that with bands across the world who are bringing in their um, national rhythms. Yeah, and what they do, people bands like Bloodywood. Um, yeah, I yeah. think when you when you. When you have the uh, this, make the suggestion that your wife is going to be the band's manager, a wife whose name is Gloria. When can you ever trust someone called Gloria? For a start, right? Um, what was the name of that band that did that song, Gloria? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, he'll probably know. Um, Laura Branigan. Laura Branigan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but what it does is it. it, it there are consequences to that decision almost a train of consequences oh god which segues us into 1994's euthanasia which we haven't discussed we'll, we'll, we'll talk just, about it quickly we'll, just we'll to talk to about for the record we did not approve of that segue <laughs> definitely didn't approve of it that was our um, but on that note i'm a big fan of euthanasia yes a big fan of it i think it's a great album there's some there's some cracking yeah. riffs on it good songs no it's not a thrash metal album but Megadeth weren't a thrash metal band by that point, so it didn't really matter. But it's it's full of good songs. I think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be controversial here. I think by the time when they when they were doing Countdown to Extinction, uh, that's when Black Album came out just beforehand, and I think it's probably a case that the material was written. For me, I think Euthanasia might be Mustaine's attempt at doing a Black Album and just stepping outside the the thrash realm of it. I can I can see you're thinking in that. Definitely. You think about the sound and the, the arrangement of the songs and that. I, I, I will say yeah. this though. Yeah. I really do not like a Tule Mon. It just it, it's like fingers on a blackboard for me. And it's not the fact that he sings the chorus in French. It's just uh, I think the song Train of Consequences is a is a is a very, very it's innovative. Like the the, the you know, obviously the the palm muting for the riff, but the chorus is great as well. 
it's a great song. Um, Killing Road's a great song. Um, you know, the first four or five tracks on that on that album are, are solid. Um, it's a, it's a good album. I, I remember lending it to people at university and them saying it doesn't didn't sound anything like I thought it would sound with a band name like Megadeth. So I think I think he produced a very good album. Credit to him. No, yeah, but I, I like the artwork as well. It's, it's just artwork is fantastic, it's just and it's a great name. It's a great name for a, for an album. Euthanasia. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So we we've we've done that now. We we've squeezed Megadeth in as we generally do in every single fucking episode. So there you go. You've had your Megadeth moment. Now let's move on. I want to talk about the British alternative rock scene because, and I know I know Anthony's the same. This was a big period for me. This is when I. You know, I'd already been listening to the old school metal that I was brought up on by an older brother, but this is when I started to discover my own stuff. And that was a, a huge thing for me. And the biggest, the biggest part of it was Therapy's Trouble Gum. Huge influence on my music tastes when I was sort of 13, 14 years old. Massive. That's one of, it's up there with one of my favourite albums. It's, it's almost faultless from start to finish. It's got everything. It's got absolutely everything. And I'm, you may disagree, Padre. I think Ant will agree to a certain extent. But what a piece of work. No, Tr Trouble Gum's in my top 10 yeah. of all time, album-wise. It's got um, everything. It's the full package. It's, it's interesting because I, the mid-90s, that's when I started to get into, you know, proper, proper bands and guitars for the first time after, you know, a childhood of listening to the charts. And just listening to whatever and enjoying whatever. Um, so I was, I wasn't really into therapy or television as bands per se at the time, but I was just more focused listening wise on the Brit rock stuff, but more of the Brit pop stuff. I'll admit I was more of an indie kid at that point to begin with. I, I listened to Oasis and Blur, Supergrass, uh, Cranberries. They, they were my favourites at the time. Um, but Obviously, talking about, yeah, you had your therapy, television, Skunk Nancy. Yeah, big one. Wild Hearts. Yeah. Um, probably a few other bands here at, at that to a, time. Yeah, to a lesser extent, bands like Little Angels and yeah. Gun, you know. It's interesting. Well, it's interesting to point. We didn't really cover them last week, but there's, there's this little, there was that little scene, I think, that was before Brit Rock, that pre-Brit Rock era, which I, I, I see as different. That sort of late 80s into early 90s. Bands like the uh, Almighty, got... Thunder. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think Little Angels and Gun were part of that cadre. Cadre, yeah. uh, sorry. Um, yeah, they, they, they sort of preceded that. But you got this is a period when British music is getting into Acid House and Madchester and, of course, Grunge as well. So it's not really getting a, it's not really getting a proper look in. It's a bit uncool. Your, your rockers are into it, but it's, it's a bit too old school. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't alternative enough. It was still no. still long hair and leather jackets, wasn't it? And then all yeah. these other bands come along, and they. It, it was, was hard more rock. modern aesthetic. Yeah, it was hard rock. In some yeah. ways, Wild Hearts kind of crossed the bound, crossed the border of those things because they, you know, they'd come from that old school stuff. Ginger was in the Choir Boys as well. Yeah, you know, one of those bands. Um, but yeah, they they sort of were the intro to Britpop. But, but yeah, you've got these bands who. I mean, therapy, they, yeah, they, 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 well, you know, Protestants and Catholics playing together from Northern Ireland, for Christ's sake. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. great. They've got that chemistry. You know, they're into punk, they're into metal, but 
their favorite band was Husker Du, for goodness sake. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing you've, you've got these bands that are, they're, 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 they're taking these influences from other forms of rock. I mean, Skunk and Anzi, they're, you know, it's funk. Yeah, a lot of funk. It's, it's, it's funk. Um, but also, let's not forget, certainly the late, late 90s, they were Lemmy's favorite band. Yeah. That's how, that's how big it was. But this is the thing it was a British thing. I don't think we can really look at it as a huge thing because it was it was la- la- lumped into the whole Britpop, Britpop thing from a media perspective because it was easy. Um, and yeah, Therapy had a bit of a bit of a fan base in America, but largely it didn't translate over there because they had the pop punk stuff, which we'll come back to in a minute. But I think the, re- the reason you, that, that stuff happened is because grunge ended very, very suddenly. Um, and the media, certainly in the Anglo media, yeah. um, the figurehead had died. The figurehead had killed himself after three years of down a rock. And they wanted to move on quickly. And I think it's parts of the fan base did. So it's almost like they're scrabbling around for something new. Yeah. Um, so that's why Brit- I mean, Britpop, that kicked off in April 94, which, yeah, was when Kurt died. But also that's when Oasis played a key gig in Camden, apparently. And that's when the Britpop thing really sort of went went nuts. So, yeah, for Britain, it was there. And obviously, America, they're looking for something new, which is where pop punk happen- happened. Um, but certainly, yeah, in terms of heavy music, you've probably got people coming in around that same time who weren't necessarily into punk or metal. And you've got an easy gateway to these bands that are pop in a lot of ways. Um, and they were being played but, on the radio as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. But they're, they're, they're rock and oh, they're a bit metal as well. And, but they're not. And they're cool. And... Yeah. Um, are we all are um, we all in agreement that at this point in the mid nineties, metal was no longer cool, and that was part of the problem? Well, yeah. I mean, I I've said before, I got into metal in ninety six, so the tail end of this particular sort of period, um, because of Iron Maiden's Best of the Beast. I'd done Britpop and Britrock for a couple of years. I just started Sixth Form, and I just saw that album for sale, and it's like I mean, something, I, mean, I knew. In yeah. all honesty, I mean, I think. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what you want from me, because I stopped listening to music in '94. <laughs> Your contribution ends here. That's it. It, now. it actually does. It actually does. <laughs> We're not unless you do an episode on 2022, 21. I've got, I've got nothing to say for the next 18, 19 years. <laughs> but no, I, I think we we just needed to highlight, and definitely more from from a UK point of view, because any of our listeners outside of the UK, a lot of these bands we're talking about, like Terrorvision and so on and so forth, they, they may not even have heard this, of them. So this, this is the thing. These are great bands. These really are. I mean, if, yeah. if there are any sort of, well, we know there's overseas listeners, you know. Um, yeah, check out these bands. This is, this is, this is, this is great stuff. Um, Therapy's Trouble Gum. It's, it's heavy, but it's, it's pop. Yeah, it is pop, uh, but it's heavy, and it's it, the, the choruses are just off the scale. Um, and Terravit Terravision, you know, they 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 were they did a sort of party rock thing. They supported Def Leppard in '96, uh, but again, they don't sound like anything else. They, they were sort of a bit funky, but not funk. A bit of disco uh, in there as well, one, wasn't there? You know, yeah. Like I say, and Skunk, like I say, Skunk and Nancy, Lemmy's favorite band, uh, and this was a band uh, straight up. They were fronted by a bald black lesbian. Yeah, bisexual. From at, at the time, yeah, that was that was impactful, wasn't it? Absolutely. They, it wouldn't be much now, but it certainly yeah. wasn't in the nineties. 
Um, and like I say, Wild Hearts. Uh, Wild Hearts are the, are the biggest what if you'll have in British rock. You know, a full on uh, Guns N' Roses meets Power Pop. Yeah. Band. yeah. Um, you know, Ginger, the singer Ginger Wildheart, he, he loved all that stuff, but he loved Tom, Tom Petty and Cheap Trick and whatnot. And he wanted, you know, he said he wanted to play ABBA, but heavy. Yeah. You know, a heavy metal ABBA. That was his thing. Um, but the fact, you know, they they did drugs, they drunk, they're all over the gaff. They they broke into the Kerrang offices in 95 because yeah. they didn't like a review. I remember that. Um, he, this, that second album, Fuck, P-H-U-K, Ginger wanted it to be a double album. He wanted to be, a, he had so much material, he wanted a big sprawling double album. And the record label said, no, and that's why there was a big, big dust up and um, they, they didn't get along. But they released Fuck, which was supposed to be radio friendly and put them into the, the big leagues and they were going to support ACDC in America and that didn't work out. Um, and they released the other half of the material on, on a fan club only album called Fishing for Luckies, which was then released in 96 anyway, properly. And we'll, we'll come on to the next album next year, next, uh, next week. Cause that's a, that's a, that's a topic in itself in all honesty, but yeah, the wild hearts are the great, they, they should have been massive. They, they, they really minimize the term self-destruct. Don't yeah. They? You know, every time they, they kind of build a little bit of momentum, even now, every time they get, get back together for random tours, it seems to go wrong. But, but this, this is, well, yeah, that, well, that's it. They, they've, Ginger says he's had enough. They just can't do it anymore, no. that group. But this is the thing. Ginger Wild Arts is one of the greatest musicians Britain's ever produced. He's so prolific and he's done all sorts of different things. He's got, he, I think he's got a new album out now or coming up, which is pretty much country, gentle country rock. Um, but he's, he's done it all. Um, and if, you know, if there was a biography, fuck me, that would be amazing. But Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's just representative of the time. It was of this this fertile, progressive uh, form. It was you know the heavy music was going, um, and like I say, it wasn't straight up metal. And there was there was lots of great metal going on, but it was all underground, as we'll talk about later. I met I met the singer from the Wild Hearts at a, a, a club, a metal metal club in Cardiff in about two thousand and two, <coughs> two thousand and one. I had a very long conversation with him. Bought him a beer and everything. Didn't have any idea who he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's a lo- he's a lovely bloke. He really is. I it was. I I bumped into him. We were just we were talking to him. I was talking to him about AC's metal and stuff. And um, I remember I remember him like again. I'm I'm in a band called the Wild Hearts, and I was like, oh, do you, do you play around here much? <laughs> okay. But he never said anything. No, but that's that's him. That, that's him. I mean, when I when I met, met him in '98 at the Backyard Babies gig at the Water Rats at Christmas, um, I, did, I sort of just sort of bumped into him, sort of in the crowd in in the in sort of the pub area at the back, and just said hello. Oh, nice to meet you. Big fan. Love your music. Hope you do some more stuff. And had a brief chat, and it was just lovely. Just so down to earth. Um, I got. I think what he'd done at that point. <laughs> I got. I got back later that night. It was at a house party. And- bumped into a friend of mine and I was like, oh, I, I was just on the metal club. I met this, have you ever heard of a band called The Wild Arts? And this guy, this guy called James was, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're one of my favorite bands. And I was like, yeah, I've just met the singer. And he was just like, fuck off. And I was like, yeah, I, I said, I'm not, 
I said, I don't actually know what they, any any of their material, but I just had a really good chat with him. And he's just, and you know, he got really irate. He was just like, one of my favorite bands. You don't even listen to them. And you've just had like <laughs> half an hour long. You had a bit. And I was like, oh, I bought him a drink. I had a beer with him. And he was just like, oh, yeah, we, we shared a joint. And he's just like, get out. Fuck off. <laughs> you know. No, fair, fair play. They, they, they had their moments, Wild Hearts, and yeah. it is a shame. A, a bit like a bit like Crozier can form me, I suppose. It's just just shame they never got never never got what they deserved, I suppose. <clears throat> um, let's let's just pick out a few releases from some of the, the years. We we talk, talk quite a lot about '94 now, so let's look at '95 and just pick a couple of of key albums out of that year. We talked about Downs Nola. Um, at the Gate, Slaughter of the Soul came out in 95. We've done Sweden to death, to be fair. So we 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 know all yeah. about that. That's, that's come out of death metal. So, you know, we know yeah, that's happening yeah, exactly. now. And Early in Flame stuff as well. Is, yeah, yeah. So. We, we, we talked about that to we're, to we're sort of blue in the face kind of thing. Um, Symbolic by Death came out in 95. That's my favourite Death album. It, possibly their most progressive, maybe. But I think it's... it's I know we all go on about Scream, Bloody Gore and Leprosy, but Symbolic, for me, was their strongest and most consistent body of work. I think they'd hit a peak by that point. Um, I didn't get into death until 10, 12, 13 years ago, but... I actually saw... I came came across a death metal ranked album list on the internet the other week, so I was just, mm. just seeing what's out there because I want to start digging into it myself, and I think Symbolic was top of the list. I can't remember if that yeah. was a, a writer's list or a a voting list from a public, but Symbolic was number one. It is held in high regard. It's, yeah. it's, it's not like as, as good and as progressive and adventurous as death metal ever got. Um, and, it, and it was just sort of Chuck Jordan at his absolute best, I think. Um, also in 95, Deftones Adrenaline came out. Now, Deftones always got lumped into new metal. Deftones weren't a new metal band, were they? Really, I, I, I think that's that's a conversation for next week. I think there's an argument for it, definitely. Um, yeah. But again, you've got that skate punk hardcore aesthetic there. Um, but I think when we talk about ne- new metal next week and and how diverse it could be, um, I can see Padre's ears burning. Um, <laughs> I, 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 we'll, we'll cover that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah they, we, we will. They don't sound week. like Corn. They don't sound like a lot of the other bands. But no, and I, I I heard elements when I first heard Deftones. I was hearing elements of bands like Helmet. Even you know, we, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they did come at it from a different angle. Yeah. Um, do I really want to talk about the manufacture, Padre? Do you want to have an opinion on that? Probably not. Shame. I do. <laughs> Look, like I say, you can forget the rest of their back catalogue if you wish, but that, that album is brilliant for what it is. It, re- it really is. It's it's stunning, and it does that sort of industrial death metal oh, thing very, very fucking well. Fucking tear me apart. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. I'll keep, I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Um, Faith No More, King for a Day, Fall for a Lifetime. Um, the first album of that, Jim Martin. I love it. I think it's a great album. Some great songs. Some absolutely mental songs. Gentle Art Making Enemies is my favourite Faith No More song. I love the rest of the album. The Foo Fighters debut album came out in 95. I mean, no one knew what they were going to become. No one saw that coming right. after the first couple right. of albums. You know, and, and obviously now they're probably the biggest band in the world. So, and, you know, an album that Dave Grohl put together and recorded in five days all by himself. So still for me, Foo Fighters' strongest work by a country mile, that album. I still love it, still listen to it today. 
And it disappoints me that they kind of ignore it now. I know they've got a, a large back catalogue, but they play. They might play this as a call on the odd occasion, but they pretty much ignore the album. And I think that's really disappointing. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's, it is so good. Monster, Mag- Monster Magnet, Dokes to Infinity. I think we'll talk about Monster Magnet a little bit more next week because they hit a peak with Power Trip. Yeah. Um, fucking that, that again that's that's a, a big influence on my taste in music um rancid outcome the walls i was a big fan of that should we cover pop punk because we we talk about the british alternative rock stuff i think we all went through pop punk at some point we've yeah. all got into it green day offspring you know rancid mm-hmm. all those bands you can't argue the importance of that in the mid-90s either no well this this is the thing because as i mentioned in 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 britain the press had had an easy bunch to sort of latch onto quickly with all the homegrown stuff. America, it's what what do you do? Um, America's still a very rock-minded country. Dance isn't a thing over there. Hip hop's happening, but it's kind of almost being not ignored by the press, but I don't think they want to really get into that stuff at the moment. So they're almost looking for something rock to, to fill the gap. Um, and you're gonna have your middle of the road stuff like Hootie and the Blowfish, but you know, yeah. gonna, yeah, most people aren't gonna give a shit about this. And with the punk stuff, you've had this scene in California that's been knocking about since the 80s, and it's been very underground, very, very underground, but it's been going on since Agent Orange, TSOL, uh, and then through Bad Religion. Yeah. So by the time you get to the mid-90s, it's still going. And I think there's a bit of a react reaction there to grunge because it's a bit of a different culture down in that, that neck of the woods. Um, the skateboard culture is increasing but yeah Green Day and Offspring they're making albums regularly now and you've got stuff like Operation Ivy who became Rancid Um, you've got stuff like Pennywise and Lagwagon and all sorts kicking about and and that's and that's what I buy by 94 these bands they're 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 hitting a creative peak because actually they've been doing it for a while so you've got this nice easy thing for the press to sort of latch onto and say, oh, well, this is a bit angsty and loud, but it's not grunge. It's different. And, you know, it's accessible and down to earth. It, and it was and it was a bit less, it, it was less melancholy as well, wasn't it? So absolutely, uh, yeah. it immediately makes it more accessible to the masses, especially in America, because, you know, Americans don't necessarily latch on to the negative side of music as well as they do with, with the upbeat stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's again, it's really good timing, but it just sort of backs up that you've just got this whole swathe of different things going on and they're all peaking around this time for whatever yeah. reason. Um, so, yeah, like I say, you've got, you've got Rancid. And, and I'll, you've got to throw in Rocket from a Quick Bear, Scream Back Dracula Scream, um, which is not yeah. as well. I mean, 96, it probably was, was when it made the impact the year after. But, I mean, that's a San Diego band. Uh, John Rice, speed over singer. He'd been doing stuff with Drive Like Jehu and Pitchfork beforehand, so he was very much from that scene. You know, if, if in some ways, Rocky from a Crypt was a side project, the sort of old school quiffs and tats rock and roll thing. You know, compared to the other stuff he did. Um, I like I liked Rocky from the Crypt. I remember seeing them oh, at yeah. Reading in '98, and uh, they were on at sort of like half twelve in the afternoon, and they they were incredibly entertaining. Only played for half an hour, but this this weird moment where they you know, they, they drew a, a pretty big crowd, to be fair. And Speed the Singer, whatever his fucking name was, um, said, for some reason said, someone has let a snake loose over <laughs> there. 
So I want everybody in the crowd to move 20 feet in the other direction. And 30,000 people just all walked <laughs> to the left. And it was just the most sort of surreal thing I've, I've seen, even after all these years at festivals. And it, it's one of those things that singers have when they've got a crowd in the palm of their hand, they can say and do anything and people will yeah. do it. That's Very it. Peculiar. We had a lot of charisma. I mean, they weren't, they weren't metal, but it, you know, it was straight up rock and roll, but it, it was, you know, it was all part of that punk thing. And I'm annoyed actually. I mean, I finally saw them about five, six years ago when they sort of reunited and they played with Scarlet in London, but Back in 96, when they were touring, they did an acoustic set at Beano's record store in Croydon. Nice. I know. I didn't yeah. realise they'd reformed, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, uh, about, yeah about six, year, six years ago-ish, something like that. No, fair play. But, um... Yeah, no, yeah, they played Scarlet. It's great. They all were, were, were superhero Elvis suits uh, at the encore. Um, but, uh, going into 96, um, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of things I, I just want to pull out. Tall released Anima in 96, um, which I think at the time, again, I didn't get into Tall until the very late 90s, um, but that would have been a big one because that was something very different to everything else that was going on around them. Marilyn Manson's Antichrist Superstar came out in 96. We won't talk too much about him, but again, that's that's a pretty pivotal album. Um, Rage Against the Machines, Evil Empire. But the biggest... The biggest thing, and the one we need to talk about now, we're talking about elephants in the room. Load came out in 96. <sighs> I, I don't even know where to start. I remember being at, at my friend James Wells's house in the school holidays, and the video for Until It Sleeps came on MTV. And uh, I saw it flash up, and it was Metallica, you know, new song, never heard this before. And it was like, what, what, what is, what is this? What? I didn't understand it. I, I, it just, was it a joke? Was it, what was it all about? And the rest of the album, I mean, fuck me. What were they thinking? We'll get onto the album cover in a minute. But what a collection of songs. There are a couple of songs on it that have grown on me in more recent years, but it's still a pile of wank for all it's worth. I, I honestly, you know, when you've, you've looked forward to something for so long, namely being able to talk about this album in depth and then you get to it and you kind of just don't want to do it because it's it's just too painful and i wasn't even there um at the time i think i think ross halfin said it best the photographer is they don't know whether we're a metal band anymore or some kind of indie art band and they've taken themselves far too seriously i think that was them at the time they were taking themselves far too seriously yeah they were and they were they, they were they were struggling to decide what way, what direction they wanted to go in after the Black Album, um, which was a massive success. And again, it's it's this, it's this other thing of they've, they've they've done an album, they've sold 10, 12 million um, copies worldwide. I think at the time, obviously they've sold more since then. And the, but the record label is like, okay, the follow up to this has got to be good. Take a break, go off and do your you know, your, your, your personal interest, come back, get us a follow-up album, take your time. You know, success breeds comfort. Um, comfort doesn't breed art. I think that was the case. Let's stick with Bob Rock. Maybe if they got a different producer in, maybe it would have been different. Um, but yeah, the songs just aren't there. Like, I will say this. I think the riff to King Nothing is acceptable. I think it's not a bad riff. But like, until it sleeps is... Oh, 
the video is so pretentious. It, it, it is. It's the, the makeup, the, the makeup, and the kind of uh, they're trying to they're portraying the fucking crucifix, crucifixion, but it's actually about his mother's cancer. And um, you know, it, it was when it, it obviously, like uh, again, Rob said last week, you know, grunge was more about introspection and looking inside yourself, and that was Metallica. I think that's what they were doing there, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not like saying, oh, because you're a flash band, you can't talk about your feelings. It's not that. It's just that the way they did it was so bloated. And if you're going to do that, you have to have more input on the lyrics. And even though they opened up the writing process a little bit to let Newstead and Hammett have a say in it, it was Hetfield still writing most of the lyrics and like got, and, and Ulrich doing most of the um, arrangements. And obviously Bob Rock was still there. But like um, Mama said, yeah. Bleeding me, two by four. The song titles are crap. It doesn't. It, the production sounds quite good, I think. But, but it, it's also again, we, we were going to talk about this at some point, I think. But um, when they were touring on that album, they were so far up their own ass in terms of like they just felt they could almost they could treat the fans with a certain amount of disdain. So like we're going to do. Kill Ride medleys. We're not going to play songs of Kill and Ride the Line. We're just going to give you seven songs off those albums and we're going to condense them into a 10-minute slot. You know, those fans that like those albums from day one and who have supported you are your fucking bread and butter. Respect them a little bit more than that. Yeah. Oh, we're going to play three minutes off Massive Puppets. We're not going to play the middle bit and the solo. Again, why bother? Why do it? It's a half measure. Um, and then, and obviously, there's the infamous Donington headlining Donington in '95 and having the temerity to play new tracks rather than your classic lineup. If it, if it's your own, if it's your own show, and your, your tour, do what you fucking want. If you go to Donington, there are expectations, and just because you've sold 12 million albums doesn't absolve yourself, absolve you of those expectations or responsibilities, and that is. Put on a legacy sh- a show, greatest hit set. Would would you ever say? Would you ever see Maiden go to Donington and go? All right, we're going to play all new stuff today. We're not going to play Fear of the Dark. We're not going to play Number of the Beast because you know we we, we don't we, we don't want to do it. Well, no, well, they they have. I Maiden kind of do. Yeah, they kind yeah. of do do that. But but I think with with Maiden it's different because Maiden's shows are so they're so sort of choreographed that their set list has to. They, they they're not a kind of band that can do a different setlist every night because of the because of the theatrics and everything. They have to sort of stay with that that rigidity. So when they when they do new album sets and they do do festivals because at the end of the day that's the way most that's the most shows that made and play now. I mean the, the the current tour they've gone out they've done the first three songs I think have been off Senjutsu and then they've played classics after that, but they have always done heavy rotations on new material, but. You come to expect that with Maiden. It's what they do. It's what they've always done. So it's it's just part of it. Whereas Metallica, you can go to any Metallica show and you don't know what they're going to play. They will always mix up a set list. I mean, I mean, I've you've been got saying... that, that sense of, of surprise, you'd be disappointed when you get shit like that. I it's mean, this is, why, this is why social media is great because people can vote on set lists and stuff like that. And I think there's some... Yeah some form of um, 
accountability and supervisory capacity. No, no, you're not playing that. No, think again. Go away, go away, go and stand in the corner and think about what you've just done. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would be disappointed. I mean, I, I know, you remember when we saw Metallica at Milton Keynes in, in 99, a big day out, and they played Master of Puppets second, didn't they? And we were just kind of waiting to take a breath. Are they going to play the full song? You know, and I think, it, I think it, it would have gone as far as ruining the whole night if they hadn't. First time seeing them and then being let down like that, it would, I think it would have ruined it. Um, I think, it's, but going back to Donington 95, that's also when they were like parodying the other bands on the, on the, on the set, on the, on the show. And again, it's just like, that's a bit, that's rude. It's rude. It's disrespectful. Disrespectful. Um, it's arrogant, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of those bands, especially Slayer, they're your contemporaries. You came up with them. You, yeah, may, maybe, yeah, you, you sell more albums than them, but don't don't diss them like that. Don't take the piss out of them. No, you know? no, definitely not. Well, should we, let's, let's have a look at the Donington lineups in, in the 90s because they're quite an eclectic mix as time goes on. And you can see certainly 94, 95, 96 were the last three years of Monsters Rock at Donington. And you can kind of see how the lineups are starting to change and starting to become more alternative. So looking at 94 first, Aerosmith headlined. And just to pick a couple out, you had Extreme, Sepultura, Pantera, Therapy's and first appearance at Donington. That's bizarre, Extreme. Even in 94, it's kind yeah, of like... it is a bit. You know... Um, but, it's, it, but it's still a... There's a second stage in 94, which there wasn't in 95, but there was the first sort of hints of of the alternative coming in there. So Biohazard on that stage, Terrorism, the Wild Hearts that we talked about before, weirdly, Head Swim. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. One of the oh, worst yeah. sort of second wave grunge bands I've ever heard, but they were dreadful. You go into 95, like we've just been talking about, and it was back to a single stage. Solid lineup across the board. Metallica, Therapy, Slayer, White Zombie, Warrior Soul, Crozingham for me, Machine Head, Slash the Snake Pit and Skid Row. I think for a single stage, one day lineup, it doesn't get much more consistent than that. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really strong. But then in 96, which was the end of, of Monsters of Rock, you had this now quite seminal corn headline in the second stage and you wish at the time was a really big deal. That was a bit, um, yeah, I mean, especially considering the, the second album hadn't even come out at that point. That was no. Three months away. Yeah. Um, so that suggests what kind of fan base they'd already built up by then. Yeah, it was, um, and, and uh, the, the, the alternative stuff was clear, it was, was starting to, you know, become more prominent. Yes, you had Kiss and, Kiss and Ozzy Osbourne headlining. Kiss weren't exactly at a pinnacle in 1996, so not a big draw, but you had Biohazard, you had Dog Eat Dog, you had Paradise Lost, you had Fear Factory, as I just mentioned, Corn, you had Typo Negative, Everclear. No. Of all fucking bands, three colors red, honey crack, and fucking Cecil. And no one outside the UK who's listening to this is going to have heard of Cecil, but uh, yeah, that that lineup there that just screams alternative rock, you know. And it's it's no longer a metal festival at this point. It's it's, it's alt rock, you know. Yes, you've got your big metal hitters at the top, but the thing is, they'll say it's you know the. the the brand is Monsters of Rock. It was always rock. I mean, heavy metal was a dodgy term back in the day when True. it started. Um, it's just what it kind of became, really, didn't it, throughout the 80s? But they, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a contemporary rock festival. And the fact is they, they were contemporary lineups um, yeah. to be, to be fair. But I think it'd be interesting why, why it stopped. Was it, was it a brand problem? Was it a promoter problem? Because, or did they, was it in 97, the Sunday Reading was Metallica, Marilyn Manson, Feeders, Herovision, Three Colours Red. So again, it's a sort of blend of metal and rock, but it was a good lineup for that day. You could argue that that, that that was almost like that, because at the time they were talking about that as all oh, Monsters of Rock has gone and it's now appeared at Reading. Yeah. But I'm trying to think, because obviously that was, that was when I, that had, just after, that had been just after I got into the metal. So I'm trying to think, had Reading announced that quite early? And so Monsters of Rock said, we can't Yeah, but look at that. <clears throat> or... Look, look at the Ozfest lineup for '96. We talking about we talking about the first the first US Ozfest. Yeah, the first the, the US one, not not the yeah. yeah. So the so the, the first the first US Ozfest, the lineup was was Aussie. There was no Black Sabbath. Yeah, Slayer, Danzig, Sepultura. I mean, those the, the first four bands, even Biohazard, fifth band down. That's really strong. And then you have Fear Factory and Neurosis. That was. That, that's a that's a pretty strong lineup to be fair, but that that would never fill somewhere like Donington Park or Milton Keynes Bowl in the UK at that time. I don't think it was. I don't think the climate was there for that. It wasn't wasn't the whole point of Ozfest though? It was that kind of well, it, it was a metal's version of Lollapalooza basically. Um, yeah. But it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a stadium tour. It was just. A, it was an outdoor festival. So they weren't looking to play. 80, they weren't playing Yankee Stadium, New York. They, no, in they, in the states, it was it was sort of like twenty, thirty thousand people, I think, wasn't it? Most most dates, it wasn't it wasn't massive. But if it happened in the UK at that time, it would have had to have been a Milton Keynes Bowl or a Donington Park, and it, it wouldn't it just wouldn't have filled that. Yeah, maybe that's why Monsters of Rock came to an end because the the hunger just wasn't there anymore. No, I, th- I think you're right um, because it it dipped it it dipped. There's that um Channel Four. They did the top ten stadium rock bands. This is this is 99, 90, 98, Sorry, about six months before that, they did the top ten heavy metal bands. It was just all British bands, and I remember, I think it might have been ninety eight or ninety nine even because it was just after it had been announced that Bruce was rejoining, um, Maiden, which is oh, what happened. Ninety eight, Bruce rejoined Maiden. Okay, okay, right. And I remember, obviously, they interviewed a lot of um, British metal royalty. But one of the people they interviewed was Tommy Vance. And uh, obviously, I think Maiden Maiden were number two on the top ten, and obviously Sabbath were number one. Um, but Tommy Vance was like, you know, Bruce has just rejoined Maiden, and it's going to trigger a resurgence of metal in the UK. And I think it did, because then there was that really big gig at Oz Court in 2000. Yes, Slayer, Maiden, and then it kind of it's then then you you started seeing Maiden started popping up at Reading. Donington came back, but in in the different guise of Download or Ozfest because it was Ozfest first, and then it was Don- Ozfest Download. first, yeah, yeah, Download. But, but but what I'm saying is festivals went back to Donington because they could fill them again. Yes, yes, they could because you you had you had more of a a broad spectrum. You wasn't just relying on the headliner. You know, you had Black Sabbath, and then you could throw in. Slipknot and Tool, you know, and, and those kind of bands that were going to would draw 10, 15,000 people by themselves. So you had that additional thing. You talk about 
Bruce going back to Maiden, I mean, I know this is the later 90s, so we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more next week. But Bruce going back to Maiden and the resurgence of, of metal in the UK. Don't forget, the reunion shows they played weren't in the UK. They were in fucking Paris. Yeah. They didn't play the UK until they released an album, until Brave New World came out. You know, which, which, which was, was a bit of a kick in the teeth, I think, at the time. You know, this, the, the, the biggest British metal band outside of Black Sabbath and they didn't even play a reunion show in the UK. Uh, for me, what the most insulting thing was, how can a band who wrote the song The Trooper have the temerity to do a reunion show in France? <laughs> what the fuck is that song about? It's yeah, about perhaps skewering French legions. Yeah, it is. But I, I, don't, I don't think they were thinking about it in quite that level of detail. But you can, we can clearly see... You know, going going through the years now, the first six years of the nineties, how how metal has really changed from 89, 90 into the mid to late nineties. So next week when we when we talk about the big one in uh, in in new metal, we'll um you know we'll prove that point. But I just want to quickly touch on black metal as well, because this is the kind of period where a lot of seminal black metal albums were released. None of us were into black metal in the mid-90s. We're not going to claim that. But a lot of the albums that came out between 94 and 96 um, are still held in, in such high regard now and, and they're massively influential. And, and for whatever reason, they're, they're still held in that high regard. So Dissection, Storm of the Lights, Bane, Emperor in the Nightside Eclipse, um, Mayhem, The Mysterious, Darkthone, Transylvanian Hunger, Gorgoroth, Pentagram, Immortals, Battle in the North, Dimmerborgus for All Tid, uh, Dimmerborgus Stormblast came out in 96 so black metal as a as a product is starting to it's starting to become a thing outside of Norway by this point you know you, you can, a lot of this stuff was being released in the UK it wasn't on import anymore record labels like Peaceville, Century Media um, Nuclear Blast to a lesser extent were releasing music in the UK so black metal was starting to come to life we're going to do a Norway episode in a few weeks but I think we need to we need to touch on on this period and how how black metal started to come to life. Not yeah, everyone's cup of tea, granted, but yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's it. I mean, we'll yeah, we'll talk in depth on the actual uh, episode, really. But the general thing, it's it's splintered out of death metal, hasn't it, and built up its fan base, which has then spread um, gradually. I mean, it's not really touched America, but certainly no. No, I don't think America was ever ready for black metal in that. And Europe, yeah, no. So, um, but yeah, it's happening. But it's it's it just represents how underground metal is at that point. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. It really, it really met metal. It's an underground form of music now. Yes, there's heavy bands and there's metalish bands doing interesting things that the mainstream can latch onto. But you know, Black and Death, which are closer closer in spirit to the original metal in terms of imagery and attitude it's underground but it's it's yeah there's a lot of stuff there happening there's there's some don't get me wrong there's some great stuff i mean my my first experience of hearing black metal was was thanks to padre and it was emperor and and you know when i first heard it i was what this is just noise it was dreadful yeah. but i think over the years i i you know started to going into the early 2000s started to develop a bit more of an appreciation for it a lot of it is still noise for me Bands like Dark Throne, bands like Mayhem, I just, I just can't. 
But the likes of Emperor, especially, took black metal to a whole different level from a musical point of view. So we will talk about all of that in a few weeks' time, but I think it's it's worth mentioning this period because it is a it, it is really influential. And like you said earlier, Phil Anselmo was really into black metal, wasn't he? And what didn't he didn't he toy with a black metal side project at one point? What was it called? Satyricon. Oh. Involved with them. It was involved, it was involved with Satyricon. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, he. he there was, yeah. There was. There was a proper side project. Yeah. There was a black metal side project. Um, and if we pad for a minute, I'll. Um, I'll find it, but I can't remember what it was called. Christ Inversion. Was that it? Most of the and some played guitar. The band recorded two demos in '94, '95 without ever recording a full-length album. And he played guitar under the name Anton Crowley. Anton Crowley, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so he he obviously dabbled with it. And that's that's in, in the early days of black metal. So that, that would have been very unusual for the US in particular. But, um, but like I said, we, we'll, we'll come back to black metal because it's a, it is easily an episode in itself. So I think... I think while we're sort of roughly in that sort of ballpark, I do actually want to just come back to the gothic metal thing, actually, because we haven't really spoken about that. And this is that period where it's starting to really come into its own. It's been bubbling under from the death metal stuff in the early 90s. Um, so are we talking, are we talking You My Dying Brides and Paradise Lost? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you've got the, pe- the peaceful free, uh, Paradise Lost, My Dying Bride and Anathema. Yeah. All from the north of England, all miserable bastards, basically. Yeah. All very bleak. Um, but yeah, they come from a death metal background for the most part. And of course, that's they were pushing into this sort of dark, dark realm sort of early on. So yeah, by the mid-90s, they're they're hitting a peak. And um we it, it's always overlooked, but Draconian Times by Paradise Lost in 95, it's an amazing album. And it doesn't yes. get the credit it, it's due, it really doesn't. Um I mean, I know they went a bit, they went a bit synth rock for three or four albums afterwards. And, you know, there was some good stuff there. And, you know, they kept most of the fan base because a lot of their fan base was goth. So, you know, they were still doing it. And maybe they went a bit metallic and maybe they went a bit black album or load or whatever. I don't know. But because they did cut their hair and wear black shirts for a bit, didn't they? I think we have to but give that... credit to what Paradise Lost do now, though. Their, their, their recent output is, is so yeah. strong. Yeah. But that, that, that yeah, it, it's... That, that that needs a lot lot more credit and it, it doesn't get enough i don't think um but that yeah draconian times is, is a is a truly amazing album um that was as good as british british metal got i think in the mid 90s personally Ooh, that's um, that's a well, sweet statement but if, but if you if you think about what was happening at that point in time and look at those albums what was britain produced you know yeah lots of great stuff from america and europe but britain it was it you know metal you know heavy stuff you know, you know, right? You, you, I think, I think you're absolutely right. But I think, you know, if you if I think of like the, the five big what I would consider metal albums, dismissing the death of the black stuff. Um, yeah, you got you got Nola, you got Astro Keep 2000 by White Zombie. Um, uh, I would say D Manufacture. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I think uh, Slaughter of the Soul definitely. But yeah, Paradise. I think Paradise Lost are up there. Yeah, British, who's doing stuff at the moment at that point in time. Um, and when you think the, the direction of black metal went into by the late 90s, which we'll probably touch on next week, 
when gothic when it got more gothic and more grandiose and big and Dimmu Borgir well yeah. became quite big. Yeah, you you got to recognise um, that that those those earlier days and the creative peak beforehand. Yeah, I, and, I, I agree. And I, while we're on the subject of goth, we've got to recognise that mid nineties period as well. You had a slew of these really good soundtracks come out. So you had Judgment Night um, with the crossover, you know, between metal and rap, which you know hugely groundbreaking and absolutely relevant to new metal later on yeah um 94 of the crow which is my favorite soundtrack of all time and that's you know proper goth metal punk weird and all that yeah the slacker stuff as well we like clarks and empire records very indie but there's some heavy stuff there dotted about mortal combat which was industrial and metal and dance combined and 97 which yeah okay that's that's next week really but We'll cover it here. Spawn, that that fusion of, of there was a big there was metal. a big fuss made around that. Sounds, yeah, wasn't there? I, 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 think, I, I, I think the fuss came and... from 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 Judgment Night being four years previous to that. It was almost like you know some of these bands are doing it again. Yeah, and it just didn't quite work in the same way, did it? It, it did. Well, no, it had its moments, but yeah, I mean, I listen. I I don't really listen to it much, but I th- I think that the key thing for, with both those films is I think they realise the films are shit. So we need to try and yeah. promote it as best we can. So let's do yeah. something interesting for the album. I completely yeah. agree. Judgment Night is not a great film, but I, w- I will say, I, you know, I, I posted on Instagram yesterday or the day before about Judgment Night soundtrack. It is unreal how good that soundtrack is. And I don't like hip hop, you know, but that, that album is, is just such an incredible piece of work. And to put all those artists together in one soundtrack and create material that strong, is, is I just see it as such an achievement. Yeah, and it will never it will never be better. I don't think in the same context. Never. No. And I, but I, but I think those those soundtracks really represent that period very well because there was nothing from a rock and metal perspective. There was nothing dominating. No. Because the, the mainstream no. youth they were, yeah, you had your indie rock people, but they were getting into hip hop, or they were all really into dance and all that stuff. Rock, rock as a mainstream thing. As a mainstream youth thing, has pretty much died. That died with Kurt. That might be a controversial thing to say, but no, you, you're probably right. Um, it, you know, it, it, you know, the dads listen. The dads listen to old school stuff, and they still do. And yeah, it's still going on, but it's not. It's just not mainstream anymore. And I don't think it has been since Kurt died. There's lots going on. There's lots of fantastic things going on, as we can see. It's a, it's an amazing period of music, but it, it's not. Yeah, it's not dominating the charts. Anymore. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't have the same commercial success. No, at all. You know, so um, yeah, like 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 we said countless times, it, it went underground. Right. So to finish this off, so last week um, I asked you for your your favorite albums from the the years we were talking about. So 94, 95, 96. Let's have a couple of albums each to put towards the top ten of the nineties. Well, I mean, but I mean, for me, I've I've, I've banged on about the. The fact that 94 is my favourite period, favourite year for music. My favourite album of all time is Super Unknown. Um, I know we did Grunge last week, but 94. Um, but I'm also going to say, yeah, Trouble Gum and The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Which one of those three are you picking? Well, we're, uh, Super Unknown and Trouble Gum are the, the top two. I'll put them both in the list. Padre? I'm going to have to go with Super Unknown. That makes it easier. Um, let me go. Just going back to that album again. 
Just Like Suicide, The Day I Try to Live, Black Hole Sun. Great, great, great song, great video. And one of the best songs ever, Spoon Man. It's a song about a man that's made of spoons. What more do you want? And that's that's an interesting one because that was basically based on a really simple riff that he knocked up for singles, the film. Yeah. yeah, yeah he just, yeah, he yeah. just worked with it later on and, yeah, got a song out of it. Soundgarden, I mean, I'm not the, the biggest Soundgarden fan, but I'll take I'll take Super Unknown and Bad Motorfinger and those two albums. The, the, again, we talk about faultless albums, we talk about albums like Trouble Gum. Those two come very close as well. They are almost just complete, you know, and it is, it is a travesty that, that Chris Cornell is not with us anymore. And, and they're not a touring band. It's, it's, it's a disgrace really. When, like, as was said last week, the likes of Motley Crue are. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. It's a uh, shame. I mean, I, I think as well, just for, I've, I've got to throw corrosion of conformity in there. Uh, yeah. That's, that's my choice to be fair. Deliverance. Out of this period, yeah, and 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 can we just like in lieu of that, not in lieu, so but by by means of their inclusion, I think you've got to mention down because it's like, yeah, so okay, so I would say if you if you're going to pick a couple of albums, Super Unknown, Deliverance, Far Beyond Driven, and then down, uh, Nola. All right, I'll put I'll put Nola in there. I think we we we've got Volger in there to represent Pantera. Stone uh, the Crows is a great song. Fantastic it, song. It is. It is. It's that's that's Lifer. Lifer is a really good song. Yeah. Um, um I mean, this is a, I, I was never that into therapy. They passed me by. Not because I don't like them, just they just, you know, kind of this this is unfortunately one of those things where we're 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 all we've we've been saying for the past two episodes that the 90s were the formative years for us personally. And one of those things is that sometimes you can kind of almost lose track of the forest for the trees because you're, I, I discovered Metallica in 1996 because of the, our guest from the previous episode, Rob. He was the one that got me into them and Megadeth and Slayer and all those other bands. So I was so involved in getting into those bands in 96, 97, that the stuff that was actually happening at the time Pass me by. Yeah. So, like, um, it wasn't until I started going to festivals that I kind of came across bands like Terrorvision, Therapy, and stuff like that. And I'm not, I, 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 I can't really talk about Terrorvision. I don't really don't know anything about them. Now, I'm not, I can't really talk with any authority about Skunk and Anzi, but if that band comes on the, on the radio, I will turn it up because they were another decent band. Um, Skunk and Nancy had a had a had a, a, a proper unique selling point as well, you know, female vocalist, like we said, and at the time, not just a female vocalist, a female black vocalist, female black bisexual, you, can't, you know, it, it yeah, was, you can't underwrite it. In, in 1995, that was a really big deal. Yeah, um, I mean, we haven't really mentioned. I think they're a bit later, aren't they? But feeder. My God. <laughs> yeah, they well they the, the EP was ninety-six, but the debut album was ninety-seven. But yeah. uh yeah. I, I, I really like that album to be honest. We oh, we, yeah. we could we could talk about that a bit next week. They yeah. were a bit innocent, I think, but it, it, it were good songs and they were like, you know, even, um, a pretty solid career. What's the uh 
when did Reef come out? Uh, well, the when first album was ninety five. Yeah, wasn't it? And then they then they went big into ninety six into ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah, so again, they, they come out of this this alternative yeah. like this rock scene that we're talking yeah. about. So they were, they, were, they were, yeah, you had a sort of second wave, didn't you? So then, and three colors red as well, who I loved. Yeah, like, three colors red. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I was, I was, I was big into three colors red. To be fair, I really liked. I really a. Hey, um, yeah, you're a. You're, um, you're quite the uh, you're quite the, uh, the the supporter of a. Aren't you? I like a. <laughs> um, but they're, they're sort of far the internet. I think. Padre, I think um, your homework this week is is to go away and to listen and appreciate Therapy's Trouble Gum, and and just listen to it for what it is. No, I know, I know the song Scream Major. I know yeah, that. Of course, of course you do. Of course you do. But listen to the whole album as a package. You know the, the well, lyrics. By the way, I've I've, I've 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 listened to all thirty minutes of Gettysburg by Iced Earth. <laughs> That's thirty minutes you're never getting back. No, I I quite liked it. Um. Uh, let me just check a minute because I had to I had to save some of the songs. In in all fairness, I think they did it fairly well. It wasn't it wasn't as bad as it could right. have been. Okay, so three three standout songs for me that I really quite like by Iced Earth: "My Own Savior," "Pure Evil," and "Burning Times." I've, I've, I, so when when I said what I've been listening to the last couple of weeks, I've I've gone back and listened to those tracks a few times. I quite like it. I don't think I'm going to go away and be a Iced Earth convert and get all the material, but that that Live in Athens album was definitely good. And I'm sorry, I've got a bit of a weakness for things like so. If you're going to write a song 30 minutes long about Gettysburg, um, which I would, I like to think I know quite a lot about as a, someone who's got an interest in military history. Um, yeah, I've got a, an, an affinity for stuff like this. What I've seen, one like Sabaton. If you're going to write a song about the Bismarck, you know, I'll, I'll listen to it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's bad. Or good, I, I'll listen to it. Um, same with Maiden, call a song Passion Down, could be the worst song ever. I'll happily sit there and listen to it. Um, yeah, so definitely, uh, I, I, I can see what the fuss about Iced Earth is back, back then. Yeah, they, they were good at what they did. They were, um, um to, be, to be fair, they, they, kind, give, they kind of kicked off in this era, to be honest. So, I, I need to relevant. give, um, I need to give Wages of Sin a proper listen to. It's promising. A couple of riffs on there I really love. Well, it's it's Trouble Gum this week. Go away and appreciate it. Okay, I'll, I'll listen to Trouble Gum first. Um, imagine imagine you're you're an angry, horny fifteen year old listening to that album, and and it'll it'll help you get through it. So you know, but look, that's that's the middle part. Of the I'm not nonsense. I'm not angry or horny or fifteen anymore, but I can get my hands on one of them. <laughs> As as a secondary school teacher, I, I I I spend my days around that that demographic, so I can I can get you a couple, I I, I can get you one by in twelve hours. Um, yeah, I, I'm not really in the market for a horny fifteen year old at the minute, but I'll I'll let you know as soon as I am. But I tell you what, I think if you ever wanted to um to use to use music to describe um emotions like angst and anger and depression. I think Trouble Gum could be your best friend. It's got the whole lot. So listen to it. Listen to the lyrics. I think you'll appreciate it. It's, very poetic. Yeah, it is very poetic. It's done, it's done very, very well. So dark humor. That's, um, yeah. that's the middle of the 90s. Done. I, it's probably, we probably didn't even scratch the surface, to be honest with you. But next week... Sick of it all, uh, did. 
it's it's the big one next week. It's the end of the nineties. It's new metal. Um, <laughs> we, we'll we'll have a guest next week who will come on to to defend new metal a little bit. Um, I won't um, I won't mention his name yet, but he'll fight the corner. Let's put it that way. And we we will slate new metal till the cows come home. We we do most weeks. It always gets a mention, but. We we have to appreciate its place in history. So, so we need yeah, a different, you know that, we, we need a differing opinion. You know that scene where in, in in the first Lord of the Rings film where Gandalf fights the Balrog on the bridge, that's going to be like this person trying to defend new metal. That bridge is going to crack. He's going to go down into the chasm, never be seen again. Well, let's see what happens because we we also need to discuss um, the first shoots of proper metal starting to return so bands like lamb of god stroke burn the priest overcast aftershock shadows fall they were starting to sort of come to life in the very late 90s um we'll look at the the worst four big four albums next week that came out in the late 90s anyone listening to this podcast probably knows those four albums so we'll come back to that um 1998 was the return to maiden of bruce and adrian smith and we'll round it off next week with our top 10 90s albums overall. But it's mainly going to be about new metal. And we'll, we'll touch on things like Woodstock and everything as well. So it might be a long one next week. I think it could go, it, 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 could, it could be a bit dream theaterish next week. So let's see what happens. Um, but thank you for listening this week. Hopefully we didn't waffle too much and hopefully we didn't offend too many people with elements of racism, sexual abuse, and other Please, activities that are clearly legal in Italy and not legal anywhere else in the world. Um, but thanks for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you next week.